You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we have a special guest on our podcast. We have pro and national team libero Dustin Watton, who is going to share with us some really great insights to things that he's seeing that could be improved at the club level in order to prepare athletes for the pro level. But also more importantly, is that these things he's going to share with us, coaches can start applying to their teams right away and give themselves that much of a more advantage because we're looking at it, we're looking at Dustin's experience as a pro and he works with athletes as well at the high school and club level and he's sharing this knowledge with them and seeing results. So I'm super excited to have him on so he can share with our coaches so that you can hopefully apply it in your gym and see those same results. So it's an episode you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is... The Volleyball by Design Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 97 of the Volleyball by Design Podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? I uh, got another great episode for you today. Um, we got pro and national team libero Dustin Watton on the pod. Um, but before we get into that interview, just want to welcome our new listeners. Welcome to the pod if you're a new listener. My name is Coach Brian Singh and I'm the host of the podcast. And thank you so much for finding me. And I hope that you get some value out of today's episode. You got about 96 episodes to get caught up on, but it's all good. I can, I, I don't want to say guarantee, but I can almost guarantee that you're going to find value in each and every episode because that's what the podcast is all about. It's about giving you tangible valuable things you could take back in your gym right away and apply it and see your results. And to my regular listeners, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate that. Um, And for my listeners that are in Ontario, you know, uh, I was able to, this past weekend, I was at uh, our provincial. So for my international listeners, we have here in Ontario, the provincial championships for uh, youth volleyball, where basically under one roof, um, every team in the province in a certain age group is going to be involved in a great championship competition. And this divided up into different tiers and divisions and all this stuff. So I was there at the 17U Provincials. So we had about 32 teams competing, which was exciting. I got a chance to walk around and see the, the talent, which I haven't got a chance to do in two years because of COVID. So it was nice to be able to do that. And, you know, I, I ran into a lot of our listeners on the pod who, who, uh, who, who reached out, who like, you know, I had a chance to listen to the, I had to have a conversation with them rather. And they were saying that they listened to the pod and that they get some value out of it. So it was really cool to know that not only my international listeners, you guys are giving me feedback, but the, the local community as well was giving some great feedback. So thank you guys. And I will be at provincials for my local listeners. I'll be at provincials again on the last weekend. I think it's April, what is that? April 30th, 31st, and May 1st, that weekend. So if you're if you're there and you want to say hi, say hi. And if you have questions to ask me, you can ask me questions. You can just or you just come and say hi and let's let's just uh, let me just get a chance to know you and, and say what's up. So that's yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm excited about that. Uh, so I'll be there. Uh, it's actually what is it next weekend? It's the, yeah, it's the April April 29th to May 1st that, that weekend, whatever weekend that is. So yeah, if you're there, come say hi because I get a chance to you know connect with you instead of just me talking to you in your ear every week. But uh, but let's get to today's episode. So we're able to invite Dustin back on, 
And there are a lot of cool takeaways in this episode. You know, we talk about the split step, which he's passionate about. Um, he shares with us things that he's seeing at the club and high school level. So he works with a lot of athletes one-on-one as well as in small group coaching. And he gets a chance to see what their problems are and what they're dealing with. And he's, you know, I mean, he's a professional athlete. He's been playing the game for such a long time. So he's able to share such a, a unique perspective and what he's learned training and, you know, competing overseas, which we may not, we might not get that over here. Like you don't get a chance to um, dive into the, the head of someone who's training overseas and seeing all that volleyball. And it's really cool to hear his insight and what, where the game is going and what he's seeing is, the best of the best doing to be the best. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited to have him on and we get him on. If the, if the audio is kind of, the audio, the audio was actually really good, but I was actually driving in the morning cause he's in Poland and the time zones are completely different. So I was, I, I did the interview on my way to work and that's the really cool thing about podcasts. It's audio based. So I didn't have to, you know, look all nice and things like that. So, uh, we, I was in my car on the way to work and I got a chance to sit down or not sit, well, yeah, technically sit down and interview him over the phone. So it was really cool. So you'll, you'll get a chance to hear all his insights. So take some notes. If you're driving, you're gonna, you want to come back to this episode and take some more notes. And, um, and yeah, that's about it. So enjoy the interview and I hope you learn some things. Actually, I'm sure you will learn some things. All right, here we go. Hey, Dustin, what's up, man? Welcome back to the pod. Thank you so much for taking the time out to be here. Um, how you doing? What's going on in your life? What's up? Yeah, good to connect. Still in Poland, waiting for our very anticipated 11th place matchup uh, playoff. In Poland, every team except the 13th place team uh, continues in place. Uh, the team I'm playing on this year is like an expansion team. And so it's like a weird feeling where it's like it's like a win by the club to stay in the league, but like not really like a win-win. So we got two more games left, and then uh, I'm back to America and really excited. This will be the first time I won't beat the national team. I'm going to travel across the states, maybe up to Canada too, and uh, just geek out with a lot of great coaches and athletes and play some grass ball too. So really fired up. Everything's going forward. Nice. Well, if you want to make that trip to Canada and Toronto, uh, you definitely got to come by us, and we'll have you in gyms all over the city if that's what you want. <laughs> but um, – Let's uh okay let, let's talk about about some of the stuff that you're doing cuz I know that um you're a big social media guy you got about over 111,000 followers you're really pushing um some narratives in the volleyball community and some of them I I really I really want to talk about. So I know that um one of the things you you work with a lot of athletes and you play high level volleyball. I mean you, you play at the highest level that people can aspire to be part of. What are some things that coaches really need to be teaching their athletes right now that they're not teaching their athletes? You know, what are things you're seeing at the higher level that if you're like, wow, if I had only known this when I was coming up, um, I'd be so much pre- better prepared to play at the higher level. And um, this could be one thing or, or multiple things. Like I want the conversation to be about, uh, oh, if, I, want, I want to hear you talk about all this stuff. So go yeah. ahead. So I think there needs to be, for me personally, this overarching theme of joy, right? For when the kids come to practice, they're like, Heck yeah, we're about to freaking practice, right? And years can go, or the season can go really long, right? And get really tough. And so one of the first things I don't see really a lot of American teams or clubs, coaches do is bagger. Just, you know, just warming up with like a fun, creative way to touch the ball. One touch, two touch, there's so many different games. And so with this building a foundation of like, I get to be here rather than like, I have to, because maybe it's not everyone, but maybe just a couple guys are like, I have to be here. Right. 
And this overarching theme of like joy, I find a lot overseas where it's like a long season. The coaches will have like little simple games. And even for adults, it's like it brings out so much freaking joy of like I get to be here. And so I love that. Um, specifically, you know, I've been working with a lot of liberos uh, with the NEB athletes and then with some private athletes I work with one on one. And we speak a lot about this new concept that I'm writing about in the new course for passing. And that's time. Right. And the thought is we want to be balanced and athletic on contact as much as possible, knowing that if we're lunged out, if we're leaning, if we're off balance, we can pass those balls. Perfect. But at what percentage, if we're leaning and that ball makes a float at the end, we're toast. Right. And so I like working with the athletes and reverse engineering it. Like how can we get more time on the serve? So one thing, uh, first and easy, picking up cues from the servers, right? Hit, shoulders, what are they doing? Do they stand somewhere different? Liberos can do this easily by uh, scouting their opponents and getting a feel on them. Where they serve five, where they serve one, do they change places? This is something that Zoe did a really good job this year um, against float servers. Like there's so much you can pick up, especially women's volleyball and float serves. Uh, the second big thing is a split step, being able to time the split step well. Um, I spoke about split step in the passing course. And in the new course I'm coming back with, I have four different tiers of split step. And so the first is like old school, right? Like how I was taught, like stand still, don't move. And it's like, all right, that's like great. But usually we're going to have this thing called assumption step, right? Where maybe it only happens 10, 20, 30% of the time, but it's this assumption that the ball is going to go one way or another. So we're going to get lost and not be able to move back to the other side. And this is what I saw a lot with Zoe and uh, also myself before I trained the split step. And then two on short serves, just like how middle blockers move blocking, you're naturally going to have to take a negative step if our feet aren't in the air. All right. Uh, second tier is what I call the subconscious split step. So maybe we're doing it naturally, right? A lot of passers I talk to on the hardest serves possible, they notice they split step, right? But most of the time it's not consistent. Maybe we're going wide and we can't move. Maybe one foot lands and another foot lands. And then we have like these negative steps, whatever it is, it's not helping us get the best first step. The third tier is having a consistent split step, a conscious split step. So maybe it's like Shoji where you're just staying neutral and you bounce. Maybe it's like Zatorski where you go right, left into the court and split. Kind of like how tennis players receive serves. Or for me, I prefer a simpler one foot approach and split. So with this, and this is what I recommend for the outside hitters I work with, we land and then if we need, we can take a step or we can pivot, but like nothing crazy for the liberos. What we're working on is being able to time it well, where the ball's slightly off the hand, at least before it's gone over the net where we're in the air. And we make this distinction in the air. It's on my left. Okay. Only the right foot goes it's on my left or sorry. It's on my right. Okay. Only the left foot lands. Same thing with short balls where we don't even have a negative step. We don't even land on two feet. We land on one foot. And as we land on one foot, we already have a step for the ball. And so for me, this has been like a game changer in my reception. 
since I started doing this last year, I got second in the Polish league for reception. This year I got third and all it is, it goes back to this time, right? Where if we're balanced and athletic on contact, we're probably going to pass that ball. We're probably going to dine that ball. If we're lunging, more likely we're going to shank that ball, right? Especially with floats, because when we're lunging, we're going to pick a certain spot where we think the ball is going to be at that last second, but there's still some space for that ball to float and to eat us up. And so this overarching theme of time, how we can get our passers balanced and athletic on contact more consistent than not. And one of the biggest things we can do is train the split step. So there's a lot of ways we can do that. I've seen so much success with my high school athletes do it. Surprisingly, not so much with the college athletes. It's taken a little longer, but uh, that's for me is the biggest thing in reception. Um, what I'm seeing right now for setting is anything off the net. And we've seen this a lot with Argentina's national team that just had a huge upset in Brazil in the Olympics. Super undersized team, but the ball control out of control. Anything high ball, anything non-setter, put that ball high put it inside and put it tight, right? There's a lot of balls we see in younger athletes, high school, college, even pros where guys are like doing the natural indoor jump, right? Jumping to the ball three, four feet behind it and they can't do anything on the tight ball, right? So it's one part grooving and making your setters more precise to put the ball on the tape. Two parts teaching your outside hitters to kind of have this beach approach where you just kind of scuttle, go to the net, jump straight up. And then from there, you're going to have more power for your legs and your upper body to push into the block and recover it, push in the block and through, push into the block and out of bounds. And very rarely do we see at the professional level, guys that are good at this ever lose the joust, right? It's either a recycle ball, like the best team right now, Zaksa in Poland, high ball off the net, like teams bomb serves at them, right? And so if they're bombing, they just keep it off the net, setter puts it tight, they push it into the block, and they cover it, free ball, easy. The most crazy thing ever. And it's so impossible to stop because the hitter has all the power if they can approach right, go straight to the net, jump straight up, and then they have that power where the blockers really don't have anything. They're trying to time it, but the outside hitter, the opposite, whoever it is, has that one arm. And assuming they're jumping straight up, they can push through, they can push out, they can tip it down, or they can recycle it back. So those are the two things that like, I think are so important. Uh, and if I were to coach right now that I would, I would talk about. Wow. Fantastic. Okay. Let me just recap. There's a ton of nuggets there that we can take. So first joy, I like that. You know, we start practice. It's not that they have to be there. It's that they want to be there. And we're trying to bring that back out. I love that. Absolutely. Um, the split step. Now that's something that's been talked about a lot, even, even on our Canadian national team. I know, um, uh, I, I spent some time with Arlo Bear over here and, and he, he was tell, telling me the same thing. Like we, he learned the split step when he got to university, not in high school and club ball. And, and it's unfortunate. So that's something that I think is really important. So let, let me talk about the split step real quick. How would you, for, I know a lot of coaches out here, they know about the split step, but they don't really know how to coach it. Now I know you said there's four different tiers. Let's just take a basic tier. Like if you're just starting to coach the split step, how would you approach it? Yeah. So I like this thought of like tossing balls. So <clears throat> when I'm trying to teach like the level, okay, we'll teach the normal where it's just popping, landing, and then pushing. 
right? And so you can use kind of like ladders as well, where it's just like you're naturally going to go a little bit wider and then you can push out. But the goal should be for the athlete to feel balanced and athletic. Um, where it can get a little tricky is the approach, but it's just something you have to groove consistently. And so I like just having a coach toss a ball like five feet away from them underhand where they go into their split, say it's a two-step, right, left, split, land, toss the ball to the left, toss the ball to the right, and have the emphasis. And I see this a lot with the athletes I'm working with, where say the ball's to their left, they literally pick up their left foot, put it down, pick up their right foot, put it down, rather than using that right foot and the ground to push and explode further, right? Surprisingly, I see this so much in receivers. And it was actually something I learned when I was like 26, I was doing the same thing. And so having a coach with the ball tossing it left and right, having them go into the approach, land and push. Okay, I like that. No, no, that's great. Because that, and it, and it allows you to get multiple reps too with that, you know, that short distance. Okay, great. So that's split step. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think you're going to see more coaches start training because that conversation is being had quite a bit. Now, do you recommend a certain age to start the split step um, or should they start it right? You know, 12U. Yeah. Oh, man, it's really interesting. You know, I haven't worked with athletes that young. This is something I'm really excited about. Um, working with kids this year and just to see how young it is but where i found success is at, at 15 i've been working with kids and they'll be able to do it so i think you know even when you get younger it's just footwork right it's nothing crazy where it's just like you're just timing it and you're just kind of waiting where to explode because you're just in the air just for a little bit and then explode in the air explode right and so it's just footwork and everything is just optimizing our movement right so many athletes, they have no idea what their feet are doing. Right, left, falling back, now I go, right? And so, I don't know. I think it would be interesting to teach at a very young age um, as well because that's all it is. You know, at a younger age, like, why people get beat is because the kids are just too small to take up court, right? And so, this is another way for them to take up more court, more intentionally, and to optimize their movement. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so let's let's move to your point number three, which actually I found interesting because you're, you're the second person I've heard say this, is anything not in system, we're putting high inside and on the tape. And just listening to the coaching community about that, I know a lot of coaches who coach younger athletes are afraid that they're going to go under. They're just going to keep going under and, and there's going to be injury, injury. Like everyone's thinking, oh my God, injuries. You want it tight? That's injury. So what, what, is, your, what is your response to that? You got to teach them how to jump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to teach them how to jump and you do drills like this, right? You do drills where they have this kind of like scuttle and they go to the net and they jump straight up. Uh, some great guys to watch. TJ Falco is great. Uh, Bartosz Folik for uh, Project Warsaw. Uh, Alexander Schwiefka for Zaksa Kenjezin. And Rafael Shimura for Yashembia. All these teams are in Poland right? You just have to teach them, right? Like anything, you got to teach them. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid my kids are going to bust their chin open. Like when they dive, it's like, well, at some point you have to teach them, right? And so like yeah. everything, I think this is where a coach, a great coach can come into play and you can really accelerate your team's growth, right? How many times like yeah. you see like in youth volleyball, 
you know, maybe a not so great dig and they're trying to set the ball three feet off the net, but the ball is actually five feet off the net. Right. And then what can you do? It's a spin ball and the other team is going to turn it. And so I actually really like it. And it's, it's been hard for me to like reverse it. But even if you like set the ball over now, their opposite or their setter has to take the first ball and that other team's in chaos compared to you being 10 feet off the net and putting a down ball over. Right. How about this? What if there is a bigger blocker? What if you're an undersized left side and you're up against a bigger blocker? Did they, does the blocker have the advantage in that case or is still, still the same thing goes? As long as you can jump straight up, you have all the power and you can push low and in the seams, right? You can go in the seams of the blocker or you can go uh, what we kind of call like the triangle, like through the blocker's hands. Or even if like the blocker is there, you just push in and up. And then the ball's back on your side, and it's just kind of like this free ball. So even if the even if the blocker has a higher reach than you, like let's say you're you're a six foot left side going up against a six eight, you know, really strong blocker. You're even though that ball is tight, you still think that. Like, what if the blocker touches it first? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I would have to watch some film, but usually the undersized hitters actually have a better chance because the the blockers are up so high, right? Usually when we see in Poland blockers try and block this ball they actually don't even jump as high they're jumping like 40 percent, so they can have like more power in their core when there is that joust right rather than jumping so high and being so vulnerable and so the younger and the sorry the smaller outsides they actually have uh like uh the upper hand in these like joust i'll, I'll get i'll get you some film i'll i'll I need to have uh, someone put together some film of it, but it's just like, it, it works almost every time in situations right. where it should be working like 10% of the time. Well, and I mean, coming from a coaching standpoint, I, I'm just, I'm just picking your brain here, but I know like when we train our blockers, our blockers aren't looking at the ball. They're not looking at the ball. Our block is looking at the hitter. So by that default alone, if the blockers I've already identified, the ball is going to the left side, you know, their eyes are focused on the left side. So in that case, the left side still has the advantage because they can get to the ball. They can do something to the ball before the blockers have a chance to react to it. So I think if they're, if they're coached right on defense, then absolutely this, this would still work. So I'm, this is interesting. I haven't watched the film. I, I watched it live, but I haven't watched the film of Argentina versus USA, but I think that would be a great game to watch because USA pins compared to Argentina's pins, not even close night and day. You have Taylor Sander, who's touching 12-1, 12-2. You have Aaron Russell, who's touching 12-3. Matt Anderson touching 12-4. Uh, Argentina's opposite's like 6-4. Their second outside's like 6-4. Right. You, got, you got Conte, who's a little anomaly, is a little more physical. But it's just because in those bad situations, like they were so much clear and confident and in control and just being able to put the ball tight and then being able to play from there. And then eventually against Brazil as well. Same thing. So it's just, for me, ball control kills. Like, if I was a coach, I would never even focus about having a small team. I would focus on having a more precise and confident team, right? And, like, using it as leverage. Like, great, we got a smaller team. Like, we're just going to freaking out ball control, like, everyone. And even at the highest level, we see Argentina did that. And we saw France do it to win the gold medal. France is not a physical team at all. They had two middles or two, they had a middle and opposite that were six, nine outside of that. 
a really, really small team. So when you talk about the, um, the Argentina versus USA game, you're talking about the Olympics, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. That's, that's fantastic. Okay. So let's, uh, so we talked about the split step. We talked about, you know, joy, bringing that joy back into practice. Um, I love the conversation about the out of system high tight. And it's, you're, you're not wrong, man. Like, you know, for us teaching it, our national team's teaching it. Um, there's a lot of people and, and they're seeing success with it. Uh, and it's kind of cool because, you know, the traditional way that, that I was taught when I was coming up was out of system. You want it high, you want it outside. You want to come in at a really wide angle and, uh, and yeah. it's cool to see the game, the game change and they're, they're finding higher percentage shots there. I, lo I love that. Um, so those are the three, th anything else you think that are important for our coaches to know about, you know, different elements that you see at your level or things that they should be working on that, you know, traditionally what might've been different. Um, I just think also tips as like an opportunity to attack. Whereas in the U S tips are like, I can't do anything. So I have to tip. Whereas in Poland and in France, it's like line is open and I'm tipping for a kill or like there's a hole in a block and I'm going up and I'm throwing the ball to the middle of the court. And so there's a lot of work we can do, especially too. I know I'm assuming people can't see the video, but like being able to hold the arm as you're about to hit, but just tip, it's impossible for the line digger to read. You can't, you can't charge or you get blasted in the face if he does hit. And so this is something that we're seeing in Poland that has so, so, so much success. Being able to cock the arm back and instead of coming around and swinging, you just move your shoulder forward and just tip it. And so tipping for points is something that I see in Europe so much and I don't see anything at all in America, maybe only from TJ DeFalco. Right. Yeah, I think, I think the narrative at least in North America, is that tipping's a bailout ball and you're still trying to score to the center, take out the center, but you're not trying to, it's a bailout ball. Your first option is to swing. Um, but that, but that's interesting. Yeah. Tipping to score, tipping with a purpose, I guess, you know, instead of swinging line, you tip line, very deceptive and it's hard for the line digger to read. Yeah, I know. I like that. Mm -hmm. um, anything else? Those are, those are four fantastic things. Like, if there's nothing else, no problem. But anything else you see? I, th I think just opening up your players to watch more professional film, knowing that we download this knowledge faster by this way. It's the same like when I was younger, I didn't have a basketball coach, but I watched the Lakers and in the morning I would do a fadeaway. How did I learn how to do that, right? They talk about that a lot in the inner game of tennis. The best way to teach is not to tell someone, but to show them where the self too is gonna download that information. Where you tell someone they're going to get tight and try and move those things in their body and all clunky. Or if you watch someone do it, whether in person or watching the film, you're going to learn it much quicker. And then from there, I think empowering your athletes to play with speed and play with creativity where they're entrusted to hold themselves accountable to learning how to play at a high level. So you give them this trust to play with speed, to play with creative you're seeing now in 18s in college, the guys doing the pipe set and just how much joy that comes from. And so I think for me, I would push my players in teaching them different higher level skills, seeing if they can pick up on it and then allowing them to trust, to practice it, to learn it, to watch it so they can do it in games. But again, they have to earn that trust by doing it consistently.
and putting in the work by themselves. But again, going back to this joy where it's like, hey, here's a way to play and to have more creativity, to have more fun, but I need you to work on it to be so good that in the game, you can do it. If you make one mistake, that's fine. But you're consistently making mistakes, then that, that's the line we cut off on. But allowing the players to play with more joy, more creativity, knowing at first it's not going to be so clear or successful. Right. I like that, man. Um, so I'll finish up with one, one last question for you. And it's one I like to ask any professional athlete that's on the pod is everyone wants to know, how do you train like a pro? You know, what, how, how, do, how do the pros train? So what, let, let's walk through two different scenarios. What is your training looking like in season? And then what's your training looking like off season? Yeah, well, I've never really had an off season <laughs> this year. Uh, I guess I guess an easy answer and like a shell answer would be to, to join our Patreon, where uh, a lot of a lot of the video work I'm doing, I'm bringing others along. Like this is how I scout. This is how I review. This is how I study. Uh, the theme this month has been Japanese players. This is how I'm picking up the different cues on Japanese players. See these themes? Oh, these are interesting. How can we bring this to our game? And then being able to recap, okay, we said we were going to do this in reception. We didn't. This guy hit this serve. We didn't expect it. This is how we acted, right? And getting clear <clears throat> with the philosophy that I want to play with and in alignment with other great liberos, right? Just consistently being curious. And I think the best way is just to watch video, relentlessly watch video of better players, and better teams, um, of course, outside of the court, there's so much stuff we can do. Um, that's another reason why I like the one-on-one -on -one mentorships of younger athletes where it's like, they feel like they've done everything, but it's just like, as I know, as an athlete, it's like, there's always more you can do outside of volleyball. Right. So for me, mindfulness practice, right. Journaling, meditation, um, cooking as much as my food as I can at home, something small, but big impact, um, extra reps, intentional reps, where are we putting our consciousness and focus when we get the extra reps? Is it on the process or is it on the outcome? Because when we put it on the outcome, even just a little bit, we're ruining that process. We're getting it cut up and we can't fully commit in learning a new skill and stumbling, which is going to be much more natural. Uh, being able to watch film again, review a lot of the film that I do is preparation, watching at least three, maybe four games of the team we're going to play and their servers. And then I think a big, big impact for me was once I started learning about sleep, how important it is, how we can have better sleep hygiene, uh, blue blocker glasses, getting some sun to start for the day, caffeine cutoff, blue light cutoff. Where are we, how much are we eating before bed? How much time do we have to digest? Stretching, meditation before bed. And so for me, it's just a, it's just a consistent commitment to be more creative and more efficiently uh, energizing and helping our body and mind recover. So it's just for me, it just never, it never stops. But I would say overall, just devouring video. You know what I like about your answer? And coaches can like listen to this is that everything you talked about has nothing to do with volleyball. Like this is something that you, any, any pro athlete, regardless if it's basketball, tennis, like this is stuff that it, we're not really talking about, like sleep, you know, sunlight, energy. Um, I, I, I like that because that, I didn't, I didn't think you talk about like, I, I, when you ask a question from a pro athlete, you know, what does your off season look like? Or what is your, 
you, you hear about, oh, well, I'm hitting the gym at this, this time and I'm doing this at this time and I'm doing that at that time. But it's cool to hear the difference out of, well, yes, we do that, but also this is important. Um, and I think it's really cool for coaches to hear that, yo, maybe we should be talking to our athletes about how much sleep they're getting or, or, or what, where are they getting their meals from? And, you know, other, other nuances that may not seem like a big deal, but you add these little nuances together and all of a sudden you got a different athlete. So yeah. I, I like that. I mean, I was a bum. I was a bum growing up. Like I really love volleyball, but I got a late start, super skinny, super slow. I wasn't fab 50. I wasn't on the youth national team. I wasn't on the junior national team. I wasn't even in the, in the invited to the tryouts in Colorado. I was a red shirt. I was a walk-on even after college. I didn't get a, I didn't get a contract my first year. I had to stay home and coach club. And so I can say this with confidence. Like I've never been a phenom. Like I've just had to figure out ways. And that's also uh, a topic that I think is really interesting for coaches is their ability to help athletes understand what is completely in their control. What is it completely in their control? What is it completely in their control? Playing time, winning, being on a first team, playing well, getting a bid to nationals. All these things aren't completely in our control, but you know what they do? They garner a lot of frustration, a lot of resentment, and they keep us from putting in intentional work. And so one of the things I've, I've been speaking actually a lot um, these last two weeks with college teams and even some club teams is jumping on a call with them and talking about how, how they can perceive failures and roadblocks as like a friend. And I think that's what I'm seeing too much right now in uh, the youngest generation. And I don't blame them. Like the system is set up like not in their favor, but it's like any bad emotion, bad feeling, bad experience, being benched. It's just like, I quit. I don't like this feeling. This sucks. And they just like, done. I don't want to feel it. I don't want to lean into it. I don't want to learn from it. I don't want to accept it as a teacher. I'm done. And so just helping them realize that like, hey, not only are you feeling this, pretty much everyone in the world is feeling some sort of these emotions because with social media, everyone believes that they're the only one feeling this bad emotion. But not only that, it's like me as a professional athlete, when I look back on my career, these like in quotation, bad emotions, bad experiences, girlfriend broke up with me, team isn't winning, got cut from the national team. These have been the best things ever to happen in my career because I have two options. I quit or I get up. And usually when I get up, I have to be more creative and more intentional how I work because again, I'm a foreign liberal overseas and you have to work your way up. So if you aren't the absolute best, if not like top three in your league, you're not moving up. I like that. I think coaches need to take that clip and let their players listen to it. That's fantastic. And the hardest thing is, and I think this is where I've been fortunate to be a voice in it. And I hope more professionals do this, but all the coaches I'm talking to, they, they know this. They're like, let's journal, let's meditate. Let's be intentional. Let's get extra reps guys. Hey, if it, if it really hurts you after losing, let's get extra reps. Right. But you know, it, how the athletes perceive their voice is more like, all right, dad, or like, all right, mom, like, yeah, you know, da, da, da. So me as an outside voice, I, I don't control playing time. I'm not the boss. I'm not the dad figure, but me coming in and also aligning and hammering home these themes that the coaches already know, it just brings a different voice and it gets them like a little more fired up. And so when I do these talks, it's so great. And the DMs, it's like, 
I woke up and I meditated this morning, felt great. Or like, it's been a week where I've been journaling or the coach is like, everyone's now all fired about journaling, like laughing. Like, I don't know, like I've been saying this for a year, but you know, you get it. Like, it's like a dad voice or a dad figure. And so that's my hope is more athletes speak about uh, these difficulties they experience overseas and how great it can be. Yeah, I know. That's fantastic. All right, let's, uh, let's finish up here. You know, Dustin, if we have people on here listening that want to get a chance to work with you, um, I know you're, you do a lot in the volleyball community. I know you're, getting, you're working with a lot of people now, which is fantastic. And I think it, there's so much value in not just working with a professional, but working with a professional who's able to articulate what you need to do to get to the next level or what you need to do to improve right now and, and all these little nuances. I love that. So how can people uh, get in touch with you? How can people learn to work with you? Yeah. So yeah, everything that's coming in is great because, uh, the big thing for me is like, I just want to invest in the volleyball community. I don't think anyone's doing it right now. I mean, you're doing it and I think it's great, but there's not a lot of big organizations, like really, truly investing time and money into volleyball and making it as great a sport as it is. And so all the stuff that's coming in is going back in the nosy buckets. Some of the ways that athletes and coaches can work with me, easy uh first off patreon you know and just showing everyone how i'm working how i'm working with our one-on-one noisy bucket athletes second courses we have the passing course the digging course taylor arrows blocking course carly lloyd's setting course um soon we will have tai chi's uh japanese libero course which is really really exciting you can see day one on patreon uh but giving athletes a voice, right? And how they train, play, and compete at the highest level. Um, it's been so fun making these courses with these athletes. And then the last off is a, kind of a high ticket one-on-one mentoring course or mentorship, I guess you could say, where I meet uh, once a week with an athlete. Uh, we might be starting our first coach client as well. But uh, a bigger ticket price where we meet once a week and talk everything about volleyball, mindfulness. And the big part is just learning to play, compete, and think like a pro before you become one. And knowing that, like, we're going to hit these failures, we can hit these roadblocks, but, like, we can build a toolbox so we can use these rather than let them abuse us, our passion, our focus going forward. Um, I haven't really announced it yet, but I will be doing a tour this summer. I've, I've not been so aggressive because I I actually kind of want to hike more than do clinics, but if there's coaches that reach out to me, like I'm just kind of opening up to coaches that like really want me to come in. Uh, I'm going to be traveling the second week of May until the third week of June around the States. And then July, I'm kind of keeping my calendar open if, uh, if clubs want to fly me in, but the goal is again, just to not only empower athletes, but to like really dig in with the coaches and tell them my philosophy of passing and how they can teach it. So once I leave, like the foundation is set and they can continue using what I've been able to learn at the highest level with their kids. That's amazing. And where, where can they go to get this information or, or purchase or anything? Yep. So dustywanton.com. Um, you can get the course, you can join the Patreon. Uh, I have a questionnaire for the one-on-one mentorship because for me, it's really important that the kids are, are dialed in. Um, 
like it, it has to be a, a two-way street with the passion that they're bringing. So I have a questionnaire there. Um, and then for any questions, just Instagram, you know, like I'm just, I'm just very, very grateful that my hard work has put me in a position where I can be of service to the next generation of athletes and coaches and just share what I've learned from like burrowing myself in Eastern Europe <laughs> over the past like 12 years <laughs> and uh losing failing and learning that's fantastic and correct me if i'm wrong but our listeners get get a discount code uh i think it's coach b you said yeah let's go coach b all right so our listeners you guys are going to get a discount code uh, that you can enter upon checkout and that is coach b so uh, as a as a volleyball by design listener dustin's going to hook you guys up and we appreciate that man dustin final thoughts yeah i just appreciate everyone you know uh, a couple years ago, um, I was dating a new girl and we were kind of joking, talking about something. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to stay in the volleyball community. She did kind of like one of these laughs, like, <laughs> you know, and like that shook me. And it was like, man, you know what? I freaking really care about this sport. I really love this sport. And like, it just shook me. And it was just like, I'm just going to devote all my time and energy for making this sport as great as it can be and connecting with the next version of me and giving him every single thing I wish I could have had. And same with the coaches, with the framework, how to work with them on and off the court. And so um, this summer, I'm just, I'm just so freaking excited to connect with coaches that uh, have this mindset where it's just like, I don't know everything. And like, I'm open to learning more and to connect with them and just freaking geek out. Same as I do with, you know, Brian talking and, uh, yeah, I, I'm just I'm just so grateful of the opportunity I have in front of me and continue to build courses, to um, build services and value back to the volleyball community. And so two parts. One, if I can be of value, please reach out. And then two, if you guys have ideas of where we can take noisy buckets, like I just I just only think in terms of value, 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 value. How can I be of value? And so anyone that has ideas, you know, I'm just all into the volleyball community and so grateful for this community. All right, man. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out to be here. I appreciate it. Um, I hope our listeners get a got some value. Actually, I don't hope. I know they got some value. And then uh, Coach B. Coach B is the discount code. So head on over uh, to Dustin Watton. DustinWatton.com, is it? Dusty. Dusty. Oh, sorry. DustyWatton.com. And then uh, there you go. All right, man. Appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. Take care. All right. Cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.